Tonight we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. Beginning at verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another and that there was given to him a great sword. And he opened a third seal and I heard a third living creature say, come and see. So I looked and behold, a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over the fourth of all the earth to kill with sword and with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the, the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on all the earth. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. I looked and when he had opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell to the earth. And as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who? is able to stay. Again, let us pray. Lord, teach us now through your word. We pray by your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as part of my own research, when I study for sermons, of course, I, I read, I look at the original uh, languages and uh, read commentaries and wherever else my studies might take me. And sometimes I listen to lectures. I listen to sermons just to to, to gain understanding so that I can uh, be prepared to uh, preach the Word of God. And as I did that this past week, I was listening to some lectures and sermons, and I heard an interesting, of, an, of an interesting statistic about Revelation. Uh, there was a poll done somewhere among Christians and pastors, and the question was asked of Christians, which book of the Bible would you like to hear preached the most? Like at this point in time in your life. 
And the answer was the book of Revelation. And then there were a group of pastors who were asked a question. And it was, which book of the Bible would you least like to preach from? And the answer was the book of Revelation. And I have sympathies with that. I I believe it is the Word of God. And um, we're obviously preaching through the book of Revelation. But there are things that are difficult And I will not pretend to be a prophetic guru of sorts, um, but I will preach through it as best as I can. And uh, as we've seen already, there are different approaches to the book of Revelation. There's the futuristic approach where where everything is seen as um, yet to be fulfilled. Uh, We've looked at these as we started the book of Revelation, there's the historic, historical or historicist view that the events are symbolic and represent the things that will happen throughout the Christian church through the ages. Um, there's what's called an idealist approach where Revelation is portrayed in the events. Um, it portrays the events that will happen between Christ's first and second advent. And uh, although the fulfillment of these events are too difficult to identify, we can still gain an understanding of of the application of these things. And we've looked at the preterist view and the partial preterist view. Preterist view says um, most, if not all of these things have been fulfilled, actually. And that might come as a a newsflash to you. Hey, I've never heard that before. Um, That's not my view. My view is, though, that many of the events in Revelation have already taken place. The partial preterist view, you know, men such as R.C. Sproul, um, Greg Bonson, Ken Gentry, Keith Matheson, they, even Jay Adams, they, they've held to, to this view. It is an orthodox view. And that is the one that makes sense most to me, and that's my own position. And what I want to do tonight, and we've, we've talked about this, by the way, in an introduction to the book, Um, But what I want to do tonight is look at verses 1 through 8. And really before we do that, I want to provide a a framework from this point forward to the rest of the book of Revelation. So some of this might be a little bit of a review to some of you, but at the same time, it might be new material as well. So these four first seals in the book of Revelation... Uh, again, we'll, we'll look at them, but for now, um, we'll review a little and um, I'll provide that framework about which I just spoke. So first of all, turn with me to Revelation 1, chapter 1, and verse 19. So this is where John sees the risen, resurrected reigning Lord Jesus Christ. He gets that vision while he's on the, the, the island of Patmos. And in verse 18, Jesus says, I am he who lives and I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. In verse 19, he says, write. And so we have the divine inspiration of the book of Revelation given to the apostle John. Write these things which you have seen and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. 
So when Jesus tells John to write these things, the things that you have seen, the things which are, the things which will take place after this, to what does he refer? I think we should ask that question. Because I believe our Lord Jesus here is giving an outline of the rest of the book. The book of Revelation. So if you have a Bible that has cross references in your margin or at the bottom, um, they can be of good use. (laughs) They should be of good use. You know, you have a word or a phrase in, in the Bible on the page of Scripture. And there's a superscript. You might have the letter R up above a word. So you go to the margin and you look to um, the side or the bottom. And it'll be like verse 19 of chapter 1. And and mine, for this first phrase, write the things which you have seen. There's a letter T. So I go and I look at 119, the letter T. It's got a cross-reference. Revelation 1. 9 through 18. So I'm kind of teaching you how to study your Bible. You probably already know this, but every generation needs to know this. So you turn back to Revelation 1, verse 19, and also 18, and uh, or 9 through 18, I'm sorry, verses 9 through 18. You go back and look at that. Well, what the people who have put the cross-reference reference in there. What they're trying to help us do is to interpret Scripture with what? Scripture. That's right. That's the infallible rule of interpretation. God's Word interprets God's Word. So in other words, what I'm saying is we should be asking ourselves, okay, look at Revelation 1 and verse 19. Write the things which you have seen. He's not telling us that today. He's telling John that who received this vision. So he's telling John, write the things you have seen. What are the things he he has seen? It's the vision that he's already received in verses 9 through 18. Okay, so I think that's what it refers to there. But then he says, and the things which are. And so in my Bible, I've got the letter U. By that phrase, I go down and look at the letter U. And it's got Revelation 2.1. Well, what starts to happen in Revelation 2.1? About what does Revelation speak there? Well, if you look at Revelation 2.1, it says, To the angel, or the messenger, of the church of Ephesus write. So that's where the letters to the seven churches begin. Those are the things which are, which were in existence in the day of the apostle John. Okay? So, as we've already gone through the seven letters, we've noted these were historical churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, Sardis, and you go on. They existed. And they were contemporary churches with the Apostle John. And in fact, when we looked at what was said to the churches, it was, you know, much written in the present tense. And so the point is, the things which are In the days of John were the letters to the seven churches. Okay? If you're looking at Revelation 119, it says, then write about the things which will take place after this. And so my cross-reference has several, uh, has two, John 16, 13, where Jesus promises 
uh, to, to reveal uh, more truth to his apostles. But it also has Revelation 4.1. So if I turn to Revelation 4.1, it says what? After these things, I looked. So there's a transition in chapter 4 and verse 1. So in chapters 2 and 3, what's being talked about? The letters to the seven churches. The things which are. (coughs) Chapter 4 and verse 1 says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. So remember, we saw that vision of the throne, the holy throne of God in chapter 4. In chapter 5, we saw a vision of heaven again with the Lamb who was around the throne, on the throne. And there's that scroll which contained uh, the judgments of God. So what I'm saying is we have this framework for the book of Revelation. The things which John has already seen in chapter 1. The things which were in his day the, letter, the letters to the seven churches that he was to, to send back. And then the things which were to come. Now, <clears throat> this is where, I mean, I, I think many people, many interpreters would agree with what I've just said. But some would say, well, everything from chapter 4 forward is future. And so when we see things like locusts, we say, okay, that's an Apache helicopter and and all of that kind of stuff. But I think some of the things written in Revelation were fulfilled uh, in John's lifetime. And we'll we'll talk about that as we go on. But I want you to just have that framework in your own mind. So for the things which shall come or take place after this in verse 19... Again, I think they begin at verse 1 of chapter 4. They begin at chapter 4 and go through um, parts of chapter 20. Um, We could even say through the end of the the book of Revelation. Um, And so when it comes to the things which will take place, basically there are two main items left in the book. Um, What are they? Well, there's the scroll and there's another book, the bittersweet book. The scroll, we found the scroll back in chapter 5. And John mentions it. It's in chapter 5 there in verse 1. It says that I saw, this is John, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And uh, there's this dilemma in heaven. Remember, who is worthy to take the scroll and open it? And uh, we noted that that scroll represents the judgment of God and the complete salvation of God's people. And there's only one who is able to open that scroll. It was the lamb. And so the lamb takes it. He opens it. The angels and everybody fall down and they worship the Lamb who sits on the throne. That glorious scene in Revelation chapter 5. And so the scroll then begins to be dealt with in our chapter tonight, chapter 6. The bittersweet book that I've mentioned is mentioned in chapter 10. The scroll deals with, I believe, one nation, one particular nation, whereas the bittersweet 
book will deal with many peoples, many tongues, tribes, and nations. And so let's talk a minute about the, the seal, or I should say the scroll with the seven seals. So again, the scroll is rolled up and it is sealed with seven different seals. And we have to understand that these seals are like a preview, like a movie trailer. Like if you see a movie trailer, you get to see glimpses of what's in the movie. Maybe you want to go see it, maybe you don't. Um, but these seals represent what is to come once the scroll is open, once the seals are broken. You know, like the wax signet seal of a king on the scroll. And so this, the uh, seals represent um, what is inside of the scroll. They are previews of what is to come. All right, so now let's look at these first four seals in chapter 6 in verses 1 through 8. So when we look at these seals carefully, we will find that each of them contain a horse each horse is of a different color, and they represent certain judgments. And if you were to study horses in the Bible, often they represent judgment, strength, terror, warfare, and conquest. And I think the key to understanding what is going on is the first seal and the one that sits on the horse of that first seal. Seal. So we'll look at that. That's in verses 1 and 2, the first seal. John tells us that the Lamb, you know, the one who's worthy, he opened the, the seal, the first one. And he heard the, one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come or come and see. And John looks and he says, behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering to conquer. So he's got a bow. He's got an instrument of war. He's got a crown. He's, he's a king. He's royalty. And uh, he's on a white horse. And he goes about conquering and to conquer. So who is this? We have to understand who this is. Well, there are those who would say that this is the Antichrist. You know, I've got an old Schofield Bible and. Um, he argued, Schofield argued that it could not be Christ himself. Many would say it is the Antichrist or that this one on this horse is just one like the other three of the four. That he represents evil. But I agree with those who think that it's Christ. It's Jesus. And I don't have time to go through all of the various arguments for and against and and refuting all the other ones. You can study that on your own. But let me at least tell you why I think it's Jesus. Uh, the context, you know, in chapter 5 and verse 5, if you look at that, um, it says, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. Notice that word prevailed. I don't know what translation you have. But in the Greek, it is nikao. And I think the name Nicholas comes from this Greek word. Well, it means conqueror, victor. That's the word used in chapter 5, verse 5. It's talking about Jesus 
He has conquered. So if you look back at chapter 6, verse 2, the one on the white horse is going out, conquering, to conquer, same Greek word. He's on a white horse. And so often in Revelation and in the Bible, white represents holiness, purity, that which is heavenly. Um, He has a crown. In chapter 4, 14 and verse 14, uh, Jesus there is on the horse. He's got the crown. Um, In the book of Revelation, the word conquer. Always, with the exception of twice, two times, the word conquer refers to Jesus and his people, the saints. Uh, Of course, there's the rider in chapter 19 and verse 11, Jesus on a white horse. And here is someone on a white horse with the crown going forth to conquer and all these things. And so in Revelation 5, 5, he has conquered. In our text here, he is conquering to conquer. And in Revelation 19, 13, Jesus is pictured as conquering in judgment. And this is consistent then with the theme of the book, which is the victory of Christ and his church. Even though we suffer, we're victorious. And also, if we were to go back and study Zechariah, and I'll mention this next time, Lord willing, in Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus there is pictured as coming. And there are horses mentioned there. Um, It seems to be a parallel with Zechariah chapter 1. And as we've said and seen through the book of Revelation, you need to understand, know the Old Testament in order to get these clues in the book of Revelation. All right, so I think think this one on the horse is Christ himself. And and he is the one who is leading the three, the, the train of horses behind him. Well, who are they? And what do they represent? Well, I don't know who they are yet. Uh, But let's look at them. There's the second seal, which is open. Beginning of verse 3. The living creature says, come and see. Verse 4. There's another horse, fiery red. You know, that represents warfare, bloodshed. And he goes out. It's granted to him to take peace from the earth. Okay, so if he's taking peace from the earth... He's giving, establishing warfare. That people should, it says, kill one another. There is given to him a great sword. Remember, the sword represents death. That was the instrument of death in those days. Whether it was in battle or whether it was execution by the state. Romans 13 says the civil magistrate does not bear the sword in vain. And so this represents, this seal represents conflict and warfare throughout the earth. Or at some section on the earth, I could say. There's a third seal beginning in verse 5. I heard the third living creature say, come and see. He looks and he sees a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard, in the, I heard a voice, he says, in the midst of the four living creatures, saying a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. So what does this seal represent? What are we seeing previewed here? 
Well, he says, uh, a quart of wheat for denarius. So a quart of wheat was roughly um, food for one day. You know, bread was the staple. Jesus says, give us this, you know, um, day, our daily bread. That was what they ate. That was the staple food. And when it mentions a denarius here, that was a day's wage, a typical day's wage. So basically, we're being told that there would be one day's wage for a day's worth of food. Imagine if you had to work all day to pay for your food for that day. Some estimate, some say that what is going on here is that it's 18 times the normal going price. This represents economic distress, leanness. If you look further at verse 6, it says uh, three quarts of barley for a denarius. Some say that barley was more of the food for livestock, but some people, the poor people would eat the barley. And, and so again, it's a day's wage for a day's meal. And do not harm the oil and the wine. There's debate as to whether or not this was a staple food or a luxury item. Um, some say that this was a staple. The oil and the wine was also a staple food. And uh, there was less expensive wines, not you know, the, the oil and the wine of the king. So it's not complete and utter destruction of the economy, but there is economic hardship and leanness. And I got to tell you, as I was reading this, I'm thinking, man, maybe I should be a dispensationalist again, you know. But um, as, as we'll see, um, these things happen throughout the ages. But I think what's going on here is a specific reference to an event in history. Okay, so there is the third seal in verses five and six. Um, that's the black horse, economic scarcity. Then the fourth seal. Um, widespread death. When he opened the fourth seal, he heard the voice, of the four living creature, the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I look, he says, and behold, a pale horse. Um, that word pale can also mean green in color. Chloros or chloros is the Greek word. If I'm not mistaken, chlorophyll comes from that. So what is going on here? Well, the name of him who sat on it was death. We're told death. And the color of the horse kind of indicates that too, right? You see a corpse. If you ever been to a funeral or had the unfortunate um, opportunity to see uh, a dead person. I mean, death is real, right? Um, that's a whole other topic, but... Uh, at any rate, a corpse tends to be ashy, um, pale. The life, the blood has either left that person or at least they become that color. And so the name of the one on the horse is Death and Hades. And it followed him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death and by the beast of the earth. 
And, and that's important, too, because in the Jewish mind, um, to be uh, killed by the beast of the earth, not to receive a proper burial was a very serious thing. When you look at Scripture, um, I don't mean to offend you if, if you don't plan on getting a burial, but in the Bible, that's what we see. Um, Abraham, for instance, you know, purchased land for the burial of his, his wife and ancestors, I think. But um, at any rate, uh, when the dogs come and eat the corpses, that's a sign of a curse. Think of Jezebel in the Old Testament. And so the fourth seal is widespread death, or at least um, it says uh, over a fourth of the earth there. And so what's going on here? I think what is represented is the destiny of the nations and peoples that refuse to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And then what is the destiny of such a people or a nation? Well, it is conflict. It is warfare. It is economic distress, hunger, and death. might be thinking and thinking about our day and time. Um, we've heard about the distribution chain and its disruption. And I'm, I'm not in a panic, okay? One of the reasons we're going through Revelation, as far as I'm concerned, is to see that Christ is on His throne, that Jesus reigns from heaven, God is on His throne, and we have nothing to fear. We, we need not fear death itself. But there, there is chatter about shortages in the food chain, even in our own nation. And so I just remind you of that and be thinking about that. You know, um, for some of us, our grandparents, our great grandparents, they went through the depression. These things do happen in cultures. And if you're fearful about that, don't fear. Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. The Bible says, Have you seen the righteous hungry? There are times where we do get hung, hungry, but God takes care of his people. Jesus tells us what? Not to worry. Matthew chapter 6. He feeds the sparrows. He takes care of them. How much more will he take care of you? Oh, you have little faith, he tells us. Nevertheless, these are the things mentioned here about a people that refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as Reformed Christians, we do acknowledge there is such thing as a just war. I just wanted to mention that in case you're thinking about that. That's a whole other topic again for another time. Um, but here we see the white horse, I think, leading the train of the three other horses with these events. So what can we take away tonight? Because next time, Lord willing, we're going to unpack the rest of this chapter what are some of the things we can take away? First of all, we can see that Christ is going forth in the world through the ages, conquering and to conquer. Jesus conquers, as we've seen and been reminded in our own catechism answer. Jesus subdues men unto himself through the preaching of the gospel. He has subdued us to himself. Jesus conquers through the, the gospel the preaching of it especially. 
but also generally in his providence. He curbs evil. And he uses nations to repay evil upon other nations. We've seen that in the Old Testament. He used the Babylonians, the Assyrians to chastise his people, to take them into captivity. And yet he would chastise those nations he used to chastise his nations. I mean, his own special people. But God is on his throne. Christ is the one who is risen, who is reigning. He is the ruler of the king's of the earth. Do you believe that? Revelation 1.5. Jesus' self-declaration. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Second. We should ask the question. Then why does God allow and even orchestrate in his providence. Such things to happen as warfare, death, famine and all of these things. Why does this happen in the world? Well, I'll tell you one reason why is because of what is said in the second Psalm. Psalm 2 talks about the nations raging and plotting against the Lord and his anointed, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end, verse 12, it says, kiss the son, acknowledge him. That means acknowledge him as king. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Just a little bit bit of God's wrath will destroy those who refuse to bow to his son. But then it says, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. And so Bible calls for faith in Jesus Christ from all men, whether they're kings or um, children. And so why does God cause these things in the earth? So that men may step back and reflect upon who he is, that he is the living and true God, that he sent his son and to give them a foretaste of what is to come with eternal judgment. Unless they bow to the son and put their trust in him, the Lord Jesus. And for us tonight who are believers, Christians, do we believe his promises? Um, Do we believe the promise of the fulfilling and establishing of his kingdom, his church. We said that Daniel left off where Revelation picks up. Remember in Daniel chapter 2, there's that wonderful vision. And there are these kingdoms where there's this last kingdom that conquers all the other kingdoms. And uh, the one before that final kingdom is talking about the Roman kingdom. And it says, in the days of these kings, in the days of the Romans, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom that shall not be left to another people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these other kingdoms and it shall stand forever. The church and the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is that kingdom. As I've said a few weeks ago, The church of the Lord Jesus Christ can, has, and will survive any political regime it faces. We need to remember that. We need not to fear. Revelation teaches us that. And do you trust the Lord? Do you believe his promise concerning your eternal security? 
Because in Revelation 1 and verse 18, Jesus says, I am he who lives. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. When Jesus sends out Hades and death into the world, he's conquered them. And so like Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. To live is Christ. While we're here, we live for Jesus. To die is what? Gain. No sickness. No evil, wicked person. No war. Nothing can take us out of the hands and the grip of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look at chapter 6, again, I believe that what is going on here is talking about an application to a certain people, time, and place. And we'll look, look at that next time, Lord willing. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the victory that we have in the victor, the one who has conquered and is conquering our Lord Jesus. And that he has overcome death for us, that we need not fear that very thing. That death itself is the threshold to eternity in your blessed presence. And Lord, help us now to live in light of that, with that confidence, with that um, trust in you. And to lead others into that same way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.